Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey friends, welcome back. We've got a bonus podcast for you that we are dropping today with our man Trip Fuller. Uh, this one's a lot of fun. I'll tell you about it in a second. But first, let me tell you about this month's sponsor. It's the E3 conference brought to you by our friends at Centerpiece, including friend of the show, Sally Gary. Uh, on October 27th through 29th in Dallas, Texas at the Highland Oaks Church, uh, there is a great event for those who are wondering how to respond to the needs of parents who have a son or a daughter who are in the LGBTQ community. Uh, this is a conference for people who are searching for better ways to support men and women in the LGBTQ community within your congregation. And this is a safe place to resolve questions about faith and sexuality. So I hope that you join me October 27th through 29th for the E3 conference in Dallas, Texas. For more information on that, please click on the link in the show notes. Now, let me tell you what we're going to do right now. Trip Fuller of Homebrew Christianity and I are going to uh, answer some questions that were sent in about the Great Devil Palooza podcast. Side note, the video is now up and available. You can go to LukeNorsworthy.com and watch that. It's a great video that our friend Matt Maxwell did a wonderful job making it. So check that out on my site. And if you say, who is this Trip Fuller guy? Um, Let me tell you something. I've got a sweet little hookup for you. If you go and text the word freaking awesome, one word, to 44222. Okay, that's two fours, three twos. 44222. Freaking awesome. Text 44222. The word freaking awesome, they will send you the first chapter of Tripp's new book, uh, which is called The Homebrewed Christianity Guide to Jesus, Lord, Liar, Lunatic, or Awesome. So if you are ready for some awesome, which you obviously are since you're listening to this podcast, 44222, the word freaking awesome, one word, and you'll get the first chapter of that book. Now, um, Trip and I are going to answer a bunch of questions. The first half is on this podcast. There's even more over on the Homebrewed Christianity podcast of me and Trip answering questions. So you're going to want to listen to both of these. So when you're done with this one, click over Homebrew Christianity and get the second part. More awesomeness from Luke and Trip. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for you to prepare yourself for awesomeness. Uh-huh. Uh, or the- some of it. The- because- theology throwdowning awesomeness. Oh, I'm trying to do your podcast intro here, Luke. Oh, I didn't get I ready. Shh, be quiet. Okay. Get ready for some awesome because yeah. today you get to hear from Luke and the other man. The other uh, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm your like fake roundup partner. You're f- oh, oof, careful. No, that's that's uh, some sensitive territory. Thin ice. You're stepping on with that. Well, 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 um, that you don't know. Maybe next time you're just going to get up in the morning. There's going to be a whole new podcast in your feed and you're not even going to be on it. It's just it, Jonathan and me. are going to take it. No, over. wait, yeah. no, yeah. no. Occupy the newsworthy. <laughs> Occupy all podcasts. That's anyway, the- I'm Trip, Homebrewed Christianity, and we're going to talk today basically so we could tell everyone on both of our podcasts that you can go watch us in HD, talk to N.T. Wright, yes. Richard Beck, and Greg Boyd. Um, and that video is going to be linked on this podcast and the other half of this podcast, which yeah. is Homebrewed. So you can like go watch it. You can yeah. share with your friends and you can uh, take selfies with yourself and Luke smiling. 
at my high quality nerdy jokes, just freeze it because it's in a yeah. yeah. picture. But first, you need to give a shout out to your buddy, Matt. Who Matt Maxwell. Who, he did great work. I watched it and I was like, man, this is high quality videomanship. Is that a word? Videomanship? It yeah, should it be. It should be. And it's really, really well done. And I think you all will be thoroughly uh, pleased with the final product. You get a cool scenery. It's, it was a great place that Trip procured for us to have the Devil Palooza at. Matt did a great job filming it. It really is. Um, it's, it's great. I think, you know, you should do honestly, for those of you who are pastors out there, just cancel your sermon for the next three weeks and just show this video as your sermon. Oh. And, and for your listeners who don't know what a church is, uh, just drink some wine with it and eat some bread. And that's basically we, uh, the best church service many of you have had in the last 10 years. Well, so, I'm sure your parishioners are looking forward to, uh, watching this during church and, <laughs> Uh, and, and see, the, the real thing would be, would you turn more red during the actual live podcast or it being viewed in HD during your worship service? Oh, without a doubt in my, in my worship service. Yeah. I, there's some people who I've, I've been at this church for almost a year now, less than a year, about 10 months or so, nine months. And luckily not everyone knows they have a podcast. So I feel like that's, that's where I want to keep it. Well, um, Remind me when we start the homebrewed one, I'm supposed to actually get you to introduce yourself. Someone was like, well, why are you talking to this Luke dude and where did he come from? <laughs> um, so uh, I got to remember That's this. It's kind of hurtful. They didn't, they didn't, man. No, that means that you're reaching a new audience and they oh. care. Yeah, they, they're reaching. So you should, t- yeah. you should welcome them right now. You should say hi. Hello, homebrewed Christianity listeners. Thanks for checking out the podcast. My name's Luke, or as Trip likes to call me, Duke. For <laughs> some reason i don't know why it it it's, it's, at least it wasn't like nuke like because i don't know why did you, did you like that duke joke did you feel pretty good about it afterwards i i felt okay about it mm-hmm. um i liked boarsworthy better <laughs> that is way better boarsworthy yeah but so so the last time we were chided for an edited 30 minute intro little did they know that there's, there's more few minutes uh but today because we care about our audience who all mm-hmm. submitted questions we're gonna have to just start answering questions now some of them you know are deep and other ones are questions and and we're gonna answer them so we're just gonna take turn answering questions and then, like yep. uh, halfway through we're gonna switch and you'll have to go to homebrew to watch that half or if you're on yep. homebrew you have to go here to watch the first half and um share it go get the video and make sure you sh- you share the video with people uh, yeah, this is this sounds like a great Friday night. You can listen to half the pod, half the homebrew podcast, half the newsworthy podcast. Watch the video. I mean, what more could you and your friends want to do on a Friday night than to listen to two podcasts and watch a video of a live podcast? I can't um, imagine anything better. Well, now that the NBA finals are over, there's Ooh, yeah a lull. There, a lull. there has not been a more interesting NBA game in the last i can't remember uh than game seven just the other night it was uh life-changing i love the nba and i've really enjoyed uh the series mostly because mouthpiece lost but why do you uh, why do you hate golden state so much is it just a lakers california kind of thing and like i just don't like i don't like steph curry he's even from north carolina you'd think yeah uh, i would like him uh i just hate i just hate Lots of threes. You hit threes? Yeah, it's now like turning the NBA into looking like NCAA tournaments when like those two random dudes who can't play 
defense, just get hot from three pointers, and that's called winning the championship. Um, it, it's the three lightest. You you like like the eighties? We're gonna take thirty three pointers a year, kind of four seven footers banging out then down under. That, that's what you like, right? I mean, you don't like the new aesthetic of the NBA. I I like I like Western Conference Finals that are uh, Duncan versus Shaq. That's what I like watching. Yeah, those were some good ones. And as uh, a person from Texas, I, of course, love seeing the Spurs in there, uh, which I hear that's your second most hated team. It's really, it's really hard to decide. Um, mouthpiece wins. Um, him, him losing made me like him a little bit. Uh, hmm. I can't decide if I liked him uh, less or more because he stayed on the court to congratulate uh, LeBron and I was like, he's just doing that because he's embarrassed by his wife tweeting too much. Oh, the uh, his wife's Twitter game is really. Ugh. Yeah. What would you What would you do if you just finished this amazing podcast, <laughs> live podcast, and at the very end, like one of your like Moltman turns on you and says, "I hate you, Trip. You've been the worst interview ever." And then your wife starts saying terrible things on Twitter about Jurgen Moltmann. Uh, well, yeah. luckily he doesn't have Twitter. And you you kind of have to write him a letter by hand to get it to him. So I think I'd be safe. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, your- I, people might people might put things on Twitter about our really short intro we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. I've I've never had anyone say anything bad about me on the internet before. So that would be uh, I mean, that'd be the first time if it did happen. Well, um, everyone needs first times for things. Yeah. And uh, I had a joke I'm saving till the homebrewed side of it. Um, but the After Dark podcast. Yeah, well, why don't, you, why don't yeah. you look at the questions and you pick a question? Okay, let's just start, um, start at the top. And this goes right to you, Trip. Um, what the listeners wanted to know is what are three things Trip likes about Calvinism? <laughs> three things about Calvinism that you like. Well, oh, that's good. Uh, not a lot. Like, if I had to pick least favorite theologies, mm-hmm. that would be one of them. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. But the Reformed tradition and Calvin in general, mm-hmm. um, let's see. Even though his understanding of sovereignty is horrible, his emphasis on God's identity being constitutively tied to God's relationship to history. And that that identity being shaped by God's choice of self-investment in covenants is nice. That is the smartest you've ever sounded to me. That was that was pretty good. Well, usually I try not to talk down to you. So, <laughs> constituencies. What was the word you just used there? Constitutive. Constitutive. Yeah. So it's like it's it, it's it's necessarily tied into the identity of. Mm. Like, wow. like Kobe Bryant, is, mm-hmm. like, is constitutively a Laker. He hadn't been on lots of other teams. Like to th- say Lakers, you think of certain people. He's mm-hmm. one of them. You think te- te- technically, it was drafted by Charlotte, but uh, you know, whatever. Let's not get he play for him. He had the jersey. Um, okay, but that's an example. Okay, so God has tied himself. Okay, that's one. Um, you have two more things. Uh, um, I, I, how about limit, is limited atonement going to be in one of these two? Uh, Only no. a few people get to go to. Nope, that's not going to make it. Limited atonement, probably not going to make it. Uh, I have like one 
uh, absolute rule for theology, and that's that God should at least be as nice as Jesus if you're going to call it Christian. That's a, I mean, that seems like it's a pretty basic thing that most people should buy into. Now pause for a second and consider like, uh, um, like Native American children dying in a in in like a giant war. Uh, being pushed to the front, which which happened uh, at, at certain cultural uh, periods, um, and that because of someone's place being born, a time being there, being vulnerable to a system that somehow connected to God prior to all creation, electing them for damnation to the holy gloriness of God. That that's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard to go with love. God is love when when that's the story you're telling. It's yeah, uh, it's, but it's pretty rough. That. That's not one of the three things I like about no, Calvin. No, no. Other got, facial hair. Down. His facial hair, dude, dude, has some really sweet facial hair because he has like a, a really sweet hipster beard before before hipsters. And yeah. Definitely trimmed it so it was like you know lush on the cheeks and chin down, but he didn't rock a neck beard. Hmm. He, kept it, he kept it tight. Do you do you do you prefer the tight the neck hair? You don't like the neck beard yourself. Um, well, I'm going to guess that his body hair is not quite as feisty as mine. Mm. Um, so I just have to decide how often I want to trim it as to hell. Okay. Okay. Um, so you've got, uh, obviously the first one tied to history. You've got his, uh, proclivity for outstanding facial hair. That's number two. Um, you're gonna have to finish pretty strong with number three. Um, uh, what is that going to be? Uh, how about, um, John Calvin, he, was very into arguing about religion. <laughs> oh wow, that's you. Yeah, that's you. And he and and he was like, it's actually worth taking it seriously and arguing about. And and uh, he re-edited the institutes multiple times to update it and change it as he changed his mind. So even if God doesn't get to change God's <laughs> mind, this changing shows imperfection. Yeah, yeah uh, he's he mutable. He yeah. he shows that uh, you have the right to be wrong and the right to change your mind as a theologian. Mm-hmm. So um, that's cool. And and he wrote the Institutes before he was like like at twenty something. So yeah, like everyone mm-hmm. else was working on their third blog entry. He was like, "My bad, I just did the Institutes of Religion." Yeah, that's. And, what did you do by the time you're twenty? I started a podcast or something. I don't like. I started in two thousand eight, so I wouldn't. I was in my twenties. Wait, how old are you right now? 34. I just had my birthday last week. Oh, happy birthday. I'm 34. Look at that. Did, did, did you know I'm actually older than you? No. Do you feel like you should call me sir now that I am your senior? Yes, sir, Mr. Borsworthy. Thank you. You can call me Borsworthy as long as you realize that I am the senior podcaster now because of my age. Mm. Okay. Those are well, three I things. Have, I have a question for you. Okay. Um, and I'm pretty sure... I should have wrote down who it was that submitted them. Most of them are members of the Homebrewed Christianity uh, group, which you should have a secret Facebook group for all your regular listeners where they can, like, you know, donate every month. Then you get to interact with just them, and they give you ideas for the show. Wow. Because, that's And they donate, too? Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know. Like, it, it costs checks, man. It does cost money. Like uh, people, maybe this is semi-interesting to someone last year, like on the podcast. I mean, I've paid people to do stuff like edit, build websites, all that kind of stuff. And like people, when they did classes with me and stuff online, 
Um, like I spent $17,000 last year on everything podcast related, be it like website or people to do stuff or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, t-shirts or stickers and, and design and all that kind of stuff. So, and my thing was when I, like a little over a year ago, when I started the community group, I was like, uh, y'all, I'll start doing more stuff if you contribute more and they wanted more stuff and then it's kind of grown. So you got to give the people what they want. And that's why you have to answer their question. Can you be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump? Okay. Well, uh, yes, of course you can be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump. What makes someone a follower of Jesus is not the political party that they're connected to. And, uh, so from a very practical level, can you be a Christian and vote? Yes. I mean, if you vote for Donald Trump, it's not like all of a sudden God goes, well, I'm done with you. I don't think that. I, I feel like um, my tradition, the Churches of Christ, true church, um, we have some uh, strong Anabaptist leaning. And so uh, I think there is a, a sect of Christianity that would pull itself away from the political system. But I don't think that you have to be a part of that, or I think don't think you have to choose to be a Democrat or Republican to be a Christian. Now, um, are Christians going to have a problem with Donald Trump? And, oh, yeah, yeah, I get... Um, I get text messages about Donald Trump on a consistent basis from a good friend of the show named Paul Nevison, a gentleman from down under in Sydney. And every time Donald Trump does something, I get a text at like 3.30 in the morning um, from this gentleman because he's like 18 hours away from me about how terrible Donald Trump is. Now, I'm not going to debate that Donald Trump isn't terrible, but the question was not, is Donald Trump a Christian? The question isn't, is Donald Trump the best candidate? Can he be a Christian and vote for some? Of course, I People can agree or disagree with you, but I don't think that changes your religious connection to the Christian religion. Well, I, I, I think if you had just put, can you be a thoughtful Christian? <laughs> There's two different questions. Yeah. That's not the question that I was would, asked. That would can be I, a little different. I had someone who I look up to, a business guy, um, who said, yeah, there's some things about Trump that I like. And my first thought was, I, I, I don't know how to deal with this cognitive dissonance of you being a thoughtful person and you like Donald Trump. And it made me go, okay, Luke, don't make this like a test of fellowship. If someone has different political, and I'm not saying what I am politically, I'm just saying uh, I, I don't like Donald Trump. That doesn't mean I don't like Republicans or Democrats. It's just saying Paul Ryan is uncomfortable with him. Yeah. Like, George W. Bush is uncomfortable with him. George, I, I, yeah. I mean, there's tons of Republicans who do not like him, but I don't think, I feel like it's problematic when you insert your political preferences into grounds of fellowship. Mm-hmm. I'm I like the difficult part. I think for me, like I hadn't really thought of it as intensely as a real dividing line until Trump is just the. Uh, it's not the kind of traditional Republican ideas attached to it, which I would just disagree with parts of it you know, philosophically or something. It's definitely race baiting homophobia type, like guns and Islamophobia and just straight lying. Like Mm -hmm. uh, for like George Bush one, I always thought he seems like a high quality human being, or at least pretends to be in front of people. Mm -hmm. Like you aren't going to be embarrassed if you're a kid, well, okay, if my kid became a libertarian Calvinist, I would be concerned. Like, that's my <laughs> biggest fear. Is that Elgin's like, Dad, have you read Ayn Rand? 
because I just finished the institutes and now I've just been touched and I'm going to win the fountainhead essay competition. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but like, I, I really George like, H. Bush is okay. Yeah. He's a respectable person that you can disagree with him. Just like you could disagree with, um, Jimmy Carr, whoever and go, okay, but that's still a decent person. Is that where you're going? Yeah, I just feel like if it if you get to the point where you're like, kid, absolutely nothing I want you to be like about this person, that's when I get the the hard to vote for you thing. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And that's a, the thing about Trump is that he's definitely playing on the worst part of America. And he's he's playing to the lowest common denominator. And, um, you know, that's a whole different subject. And yeah. Um, it's, that's not the question that was asked. So we don't have to make you talk no. about it anymore. We don't, we look, you're in Texas. It's already difficult enough for you. I was <laughs> just there. Thousands of people showing up. Um, but the next question I'm sure is going to be enlightening for you. Cause okay. um, how many theological topics do you avoid uh, talking about to keep your job? Wait, I'm supposed to ask you this question. Well, Wait, am I, I, we both get the answer. It's more okay. fun. I can answer it like, Things I avoided when I was full-time employed at a church. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, how many? The- I think I avoid a lot of theological topics, not to avoid keeping my, but to do my job effectively. And I don't, I don't say that in, in an embarrassed way. I think, so I, I believe that God created the world and I believe evolution happened. I think those two things are both very true. I don't get up and preach Genesis 1 and jump right into evolution because I know not everyone's there. And I don't get up and talk about when I'm going through you know, the Pentateuch. I don't jump into new document hypothesis. Like Wellhausen is not who I'm quoting saying, oh, there are four different sources and there's someone compiled it, blah, 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 blah. I don't do that because as a pastor, like in my situation, I have people who are just trying to get through the week and I have other people who are serious theology nerds who would love the direction that you go in your podcast. And I'm talking to a very broad audience. And so I want to put some things on the top shelf that some people are going to get. Um, but I don't want to hold my theological preferences about certain different issues as being a central thing, because that's not the centerpiece of what my job is as a pastor. So um, how many theological, I mean, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of different opinions that I think are secondary to what I do uh, on a Sunday morning as a, as a, preacher as a pastor well how many of them do you think like would be like oh that was uncomfortable reverend or like straight up we're going for you type of thing you know what i mean like to me that i always thought i i i have uh, probably a less sensor than you did when i was a minister um and and maybe not because <laughs> of purity but because I'm older. Part of it is just because I'm older. When you get I mean, to be my age, you'll understand some of these things. I know. Um, <laughs> but like, like avoiding theological topics to me to keep my job would, would drive me nuts. But avoiding, like, I feel like you can be descriptive about how you understand the gospel and its connection to kind of political, cultural, social type stuff rather than being prescriptive where you're giving – like, oh, you should go vote for so-and-so. Oh, this is how we should fix this bill. Oh, yeah, yeah. you need to address climate change by insert the policy you avoid, or, you, you know, like you're doing. The prescriptive part seems like an abuse of power, um, short of like telling people to do what Jesus told them to do. Like, yeah. I don't feel bad saying you're supposed to pray for your enemies because I have trouble doing it, and I was told to tell you that. But yeah. 
uh, being descriptive to me is kind of like that's the the way I always framed it. Like being descriptive about our complicity in a very racist poverty of cycle system in Los Angeles prison system was not problematic to me, and it touched you know nerves in some parts, but like uh, poverty, white privilege, racism. I don't have problems thinking we should be uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was going to tell them what we have to do to fix it or mm-hmm. something like that, I think we fail. And the main reason, and this is uh, as a minister, what I thought about, like in the same way that they trust that you or I or whoever their minister is has spent more time thinking, uh, investigating it when they come up to preach a sermon about a text and that we're called to serve the whole community and not just our own ends in it. The, the, the church actually has people in all sorts of different vocations and careers who could be the ones to speak up and describe what we should be doing and lead and go that way. And we don't need the minister to become like the, the yeah. quarterback for every person's vocation, but we can provoke their theological imagination, then empower them, affirm them um, all the way down to something we did is uh uh, I would tie prophetic type thinking to your vocation. Be like, as a Christian, this is what you do. So beginning a school year, we would ordain all the public school teachers and That's send good. them into the, the community to do it. We did it with all sorts of uh, things. Now, oh, Trip, you're ordaining public servants. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> like I am. And this is the most Protestant thing to do ever. Like, that's when I forgot about that for Calvin, his understanding and Luther's understanding of vocation and that uh, the value and sacred act of family and work. That's something that's Calvin. Like. And would, so I think, would you replace the hair with that one? Facial hair for that oh, one? Oh, nah, I don't know. It's a good one though. Okay. So I, I love that. And I love the, your language of prescriptive versus descriptive. Like let's, if I'm getting it cor- correctly, prescribing the, you know, the theological call, the, the discipleship call, we all have to care for the poor, to love your enemies, the description of what that actually looks like. Um, they're all baptized believers, just like me. They can listen to Holy Spirit guiding them in their vocation, in their livelihood on how to apply that. And I think that's great. I, I think when you, when you preach in a situation where you have, and you minister to people who like they work at the Capitol or you have people who are in healthcare or they are doing social work. They have more hands, uh, hands and feet, like literal concrete example, like lifestyle experience in that area than you, you'd prescribe the way of Jesus and they can describe what that specifically looks like for them. So I like how you said that. That's good. Well, the, okay. the, the language, it's the other way around. You describe oh, you describe the prophetic imagination. Okay. You're descriptive of God's mission. Call it. You don't, but like a prescription, like gotcha, you don't know gotcha. how to fix it. Like, uh, oh, congratulations! Your minister in this sermon is not just going to uh, tell yeah. you what the Bible says, but write a prescription for each and every one of you. Which and, is like the preposterous thing about like people in our industry writing books about uh, this is the best way to have a good diet and this is the best way to have uh, a, a good savings account. Like that, that's not what we're trying to do. That's not who we are. Stay in your lane, bro. Well, I would just also like to mention that John Calvin thought it was immoral to charge more than 3% interest. And the charging interest he already thought was sketchy, but that it was needed for an economy with a growing middle class, which it brought people out of poverty. So he saw positives in it, but charging over 3% interest for Calvin was just immoral. Um, Hmm. So Presbyterians, y'all can chew on that one and (laughs) maybe you'll 
reconsider some of your investment yeah. strategies. Yeah, thanks See, for that little rain on usury. That's uh, that's really helpful. Okay, you ready to go to the next question? Yeah. Okay. If you could have any two guests on a future crossover live episode, who would it be? So is this like two people joining you and me as a live crossover podcast Anybody like we did with the devil is next year uh on, on in malibu okay next year malibu like if we already had richard beck and gregory board and nt Wright come mm-hmm. who 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 would we want to come next year Ooh, that's an interesting question we've got so your former roommate and uh and best friend pete rollins um there is a guy from the Church of Christ named Randy Harris, who's kind of like uh, like our Pope of the Church of Christ. Like he doesn't get an official like cool hat or anything, but he's a philosopher. His uh, doctoral work was, I think, in Syracuse or something like that. And he's actually the person who introduced me to Pete Rollins. And once before, I I actually connected them at an event that I was putting together for a small group. I think in the Church of Christ, having him and Rollins go together, two philosophers. I think your listeners would love hearing Pete Rollins. I think they would love getting to know this Church of Christ professor, preacher guy named Randy Harris. Um, that's one option. Who, do you, who are your two guests that you would jump to? Well, if, it, if we're trying to, like, you know, raise the game from last year, and if it's anyone, then I would like Elizabeth Johnson and the Pope. Oh, okay. I'll work on Elizabeth Johnson. You work on the Pope. Well, I can already get Elizabeth, but... The, no, that's not the assignment. You would have to get the Pope. I, I called it. Um, that would be... Uh, that, that would be. What about realistic? You're not going to get the Pope. Uh, did, by the way, did you see my last guest, Joshua Ryan Butler? He got to go hang out at the Vatican and, and meet the Pope. The Pope was hanging out with like 15 or 20 young evangelicals. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm slightly upset that I was on that list, but uh, how cool is that? Okay, who are your two realistic guests? Two realistic guests? Um, let's see. What about Amy Jill Levine? I haven't had her on the podcast. Oh, I've had her on. She's great. I know. She's awesome. And if, especially if last time I was in T. Wright, then you have like a female Jewish New Testament scholar <laughs> there. AJ is great. Yeah, she'd be wonderful. Um, and she's fun. Yeah, she had, uh, have you interacted with her before? Yeah, just not on, not the on internet. the actual yeah. uh, podcast. Um, that's a good call. AJ's great. Um, yeah, she was a great sport. Um, I don't know. If she, yeah. Yeah. Good call. I like it. The, the other person I'm, that would be like a super sweet that is in Los Angeles. We might could do, especially if you don't tell everyone who's coming, who's going to be there mm-hmm. so that the church of Christ people don't run in fear Uh-oh. be having Rosemary Radford Ruther there. She lives in LA. She's like probably in the top, five most famous feminist theologians and uh she's hilarious super smart witty a like knows how to like get nerdy and entertain the crowd and when hmm. like hang out with her because i mean i was a southerner that came to southern california for a phd program just because you can read books without getting awkward doesn't mean you go in a room where everyone's eating hummus on purpose and don't get awkward when <laughs> it's so so like, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I've heard. I don't know. You know, like as a Southerner, she's like awesome. Like really? Uh, and, and, and can, can win a crowd type of thing. Oh, like just okay. a, really personable. All uh, right. Well, I think you're onto something. Because, because, uh, you know, the other would be Bono. I think Bono should come on. Did you know Bono was in Malibu 
just a couple days after we did the Devil Palooza, eating yeah, at they're recording. Uh, they're recording. Yeah, they're recording their new album in Malibu right now. Oh, you yeah. I mean, know I something that. else. Um, Daniel Tosh went to it. N- no, this is even cooler. Uh, a yeah. person who's regularly been on both podcasts uh, is doing a like private Enneagram workshop with you two currently. What? Mm-hmm. And he didn't know who they were, and and called what? them Bono. And you can't go into detail about who this is. No, uh, off mic. Um. Yeah, you can. I mean, I mean, it's you know, it, it has to be. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just reporting, reporting things I've heard. I'm not giving any names for anything, but I'm just like, saying. Roars, but it has to be roar. But we're you're not going to confirm that. Um, I, I'm just saying that Bono is studying the Enneagram with the Edge and Adam, and and, and I'm just thinking they should play at our podcast in Malibu. Oh, I um, I'm I'm emailing Roar as soon as we're done with this to confirm. This is uh, amazing. Okay, um, <laughs> that is so awesome. What? Do, okay, Adam. Hmm. We'll stay off this because that's a lot. That's very interesting. Okay. Uh, you too at the next uh, crossover podcast. Uh, next question. How would you two label each other? <laughs> Lay the parentheses is the best part. The, uh, uh, no, <laughs> no Rob Bell dodging. Yeah. As in, we can't dodge if Rob Bell is in the room or they're saying that the dodging is akin to something that Rob Bell would be accused of doing. Is that what we're talking about? You know, I think it's that, that Rob has successfully dodged embracing any label his entire career and, oh. and is like a, he, he's Rob, like a ninja at not answering questions. But talk. No, that's not true. I emailed him last week about something. He answered my question very directly. Uh, but wasn't on a microphone. <laughs> it was an email, though, but, it was direct, but he answered the question directly. You know what I mean. You've even picked on him about this. So the fact. No, and, no, he picked on me about it. Um, uh-huh. well look okay how would you two label each other um okay i'll let you go first um well let's see uh luke is uh is is a struggling closeted progressive evangelical who is who is um um I don't know. I don't know if I think that's good enough. That's good enough. <laughs> a struggling closet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you're, you're deciding whether or not whether or not you're going to come out of the progressive evangelical closet, and um, and, but you, you know what I am? I'm a Christian, but I'm not the only Christian oh, because I'm Church of Christ. Um, so you, uh, I would describe you as a newly turned 34 year old. Uh, with a great beard, and you're like a internet mogul um, who is um, he's. I don't know if I, I need a label, but like when I fill out my timesheet, I say this three hours of the week I was doing evangelism when I'm talking to you. So is that a label? Yeah, I can. I I'm an evangelist for multiple no, JCs. I've. Oh, you you count as this is my like my spiritual conversation for the week. Reaching out to you, is that no. a classification enough? <laughs> well, you know, um, what's funny is 
Like Rob Bell has never called me a non-Christian to my face before. So, <laughs> hey, you didn't do what he does. Um, I feel oh, like you succeeded. No, I'm joking. First of all, I don't fill out a timesheet. That's I funny. You're joking. I, okay, a serious label. Um, I don't know. You're, we're, we're both Jesus people. Um, like you're a Jesus sport. person. Uh, you like to do critical thinking. You really and, enjoyed my book about Jesus. Uh huh. Yes, the best the last podcast episode was just. A yeah, it stinks that that happened because the the because I skipped from Skype to FaceTime and whatever. I don't, man. I don't. I don't even like the question. Two label. Whatever. Whatever. I know. I, uh, that's what I'm talking about. Rob Bell dodging right there. No. Right there. Um. The the though. Uh. Um. Here's a there. Here's one of the reasons I think the question's interesting because, um, you, depending on like the platform that you interact with someone, can really change what you like how you see them or think about them and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so like in a in a podcast where you regularly interview people, um, uh, it, it like your job is not to tell everyone what you're thinking if you're interviewing someone. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So then people start to like mosaic your theology based on who you talk to. And, um, and then they have these like ideas about you and that kind of thing. But if you're our friends, but you don't even listen to the podcast, you're like, Oh yeah, just don't even talk to him about religion. If he starts to go there, just bring up Kobe Bryant and you don't have to worry about it at all. He'll just start going on. And, um, and especially if you're a minister, like it is really I was always amused when people listen to podcasts that are visiting California show up at the church I worked at and it's just like mansion on a cliff in Palos Verdes and they like come in with their like skinny jeans and tattoos and stuff like this and they're like, oh, and the greeter's like, you must listen to Tripp's internet thing. (laughs) (laughs) I had some guys show up last week um, who listened to the podcast and I was like, hey, welcome, man. Good meeting you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Um, it, it, it's crazy because some people can take take that and go, this is all you are. But um, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't just don't like the labeling idea. Well, what, like, what do you think the – I think labels mean different things depending on who's saying them and what part of the country. So my theory of labels, which I imagine is where the question came from, when I was trying to get pinned down on my book tour um, by the person interviewing me about my book, I was like – I'm kind of open and affirming of all labels that you're applying to someone you'll keep hanging out with. And so I just kind of collect them and then <laughs> I just try to reinterpret them mm-hmm. in, in ways that I enjoy, but uh, I get why they're useful, but I don't, I don't, but I think they're more useful for guiding a conversation than ending one. And, yeah. uh, but I get why people want them, right? Like, yeah. uh, uh, when at neighborhood, when I was there, the church I worked at for a while, there's once the discussion came up on like whether or not, like how would we define ourselves, like as an inclusive church, open and affirming, or uh, or, or we don't want to like have a label about it, and why would we have a label? Should we say we're a progressive church, or should we say we're uh, biblical, faithful, and critical thinking? Like you know, and you're sitting around like trying to come up with your language. Um, I think sometimes people freak out about labeling themselves or uh as a way of um like closing yourself off from other people but sometimes labeling well um helps communities have a shared identity and it also yeah. helps uh people know whether or not they're going to be safe there i mean mm-hmm. that was my comment i'm like 
look, there are plenty of churches where they can, uh, where they, where they can realize that their sexual identity is an important thing they're going to have to deal with to be a member here and whether or not they're accepted. So if you are going to accept everyone, should just go ahead and say it. It doesn't have to be like a giant rainbow sticker on every page of the website, but uh, people may want to know whether or not that's an issue or not when they come there. Um, I know plenty of others that, like, I've been asked on the phone, we're thinking of visiting your church, but do you have an, a walk-the-aisle invitation each week? And I was like, what? Well, I couldn't tell on your website. And I was like, yeah. uh, no, that's People, really not how we roll. Okay. Yeah. Well, we just wanted to go to a biblical church. And I was like, <laughs> which, which means a walk-the-aisle invitation. Yeah, you know, that's what happens at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. That's exactly how it ends. Uh on this rock, yeah. That's exactly where it goes. I had a guy who actually was a um homebrewed listener for the church plant that I was a part of. He showed up and he before he got there, he wanted to know uh he had some questions he wanted to ask. You know, am, am I going to be allowed to think this and have this view blah 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 because he wanted to know if he's going to be accepted. And I I I get that and the labels like you said it helps people um know where people stand on issues of that are important to them. And so I get that on the one hand. Um, I just hate when labels deteriorate into being what we're against. Yeah. And the, to quote the great scholar, Pat Green, who's a Texas country music guy. He says, you, uh, you can tell where I stand by knowing what I'm for. Like that. I think that's like, what are you for? That's, I feel like the big, the big issue, the big question. And I, I think the rest of the stuff kind of falls in place behind that. So I'm done with that question. If you want to talk more about it, you can well, do it. No, I mean, you, 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 we don't, we don't know what you're for, so we can't give you any labels. So Jesus love, um, hospitality table well, in I'm 10 for- years, in 10 years, what will be the biggest change in the American church? Hmm. Okay, I've got a theory that church in America, 10 years might be a little bit quick on this, but you give it a, maybe a little bit more time than that, that we'll have the McDonald's church, the franchises that are all over every major city. Uh, so you've got the big church that has their, their, their franchise, this town and this town and this town, and people go to the big franchises, or you have the small kind of... Um, house churchy kind of feel. I think you're going to have the two extremes and the middle class of churches will not be around. 10 right. years might be a little aggressive for that. Um, maybe 20, 25. I mean, like if you just took the data now, the number of people that are in congregations over a thousand or under 200 has gone up percentage wise significantly. So has it really? Mm-hmm. See, you're, you're, you're a futurist. That is. I have a, Futurist. That's I like that term. Okay, so what do you think the biggest change in the American church in ten years will be? Um, Young man, let's see. Um, I I think the biggest change will be the American Catholic Church deciding to ordain women or letting them serve Eucharist, and that that will be connected to or a a a revival of the Roman Catholic Church. That's one. that's a good one. That's interesting. Why do you think that's going to take place? Um, well, the they've already come up with all sorts of like little workarounds uh, where where nuns are able to do all sorts of stuff that they wouldn't have been able to do before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're importing priests rather than calling our own as in the Roman Catholic Church in America, mm-hmm. and um, at some point 
the communication of the Catholic faith in the American context is going to need more actual Americans. So you think it's just going to be a very practical decision that we need people to do this job and there aren't enough men to do it. And no, that it, will push it. The practical need will inspire mm-hmm. um, a recognition that no one knows Jesus rose from the dead if a woman didn't tell anyone. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not discrediting the theological uh, underpinning for that. But often theological changes typically seem to be coupled with a very practical, pragmatic problem. And this, that's where we're going with it. Yeah, I think that the the other thing that I think will the in ten years, I don't think we'll be fighting about sexuality anymore, so it won't be a big deal. So then maybe the church will finally get around to doing something about the planet we're destroying. You think it's gonna be the planet, man? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I, think, that's- I think that's the 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 that will be a that will be a new organizing principle around how you divide up religious communities will be their connection to ecology, which for your spiral dynamics friends basically means they have to be at um, uh, an orange or green consciousness to have that kind of world centric type of view. Mm -hmm. Um, And the biggest impediments in religious communities to getting there are religious communities functioning to keep kind of blue meme thinking intact at the congregational level Um, and and it just becomes less and less plausible like when the baby boomers are the only people left and uh, they continue to you know just be obnoxious and make the world revolve around them like at some point others will have to like chop off 20 years of humans and then do some surveys and evangelicals are over 50% affirming of same-sex marriage and of ecological crisis. It's everyone that's like 60 and over that comes a lot more frequently to, you know, anti-science homophobic communities that keeps congregations stuck that way because they write checks. But if we had the nat- natural lifespan of human beings before the benefits of science, even though they're practically denying science by imagining that uh, climate change isn't like an an actual thing we should probably do uh, to respond to, then the 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 swing has already occurred, uh, even within evangelical churches. Uh, statistically, I think it's just um, like that'd be a big change because I think we will have those move to smaller and bigger communities, and that'd be more of a financial necessity. But the theological energy, I think, would be exciting when you can have celebratory, progressive type of. Uh, visions of the faith, they're thoroughly kind of biblical and evangelical and excited about it because the identity of evangelicalism isn't tied to um, like these very enlightenment battles around science and stuff like that. Have you read uh, Stephen Prothrow's um, Why the Liberals Always Win or some title like that? I forget. He was on my podcast. His argument is that the church has often taken positions on battles that the society has already deemed over. And so we argue about um, segregation and, you know, churches of Christ universities had to integrate because the government said, Hey, you're not going to get tax dollars anymore. And so the culture already said, Hey, we're past these sort of racial issues um, in terms of policy wise. Uh, And the church eventually caught up to that. And 
it sounds like what you're saying is that the society's already deemed, okay, these are issues that, that we're done on. The church, you haven't got around to it yet, but give, you, give, give the church enough time, it will come around to where the culture is on the issue. Is that, where you're, is that what you're going? Well, I'm, I think that's part of it, but uh, I also think the church, if, you, if, if the average age of leaders was the average age of leaders in emerging industries were parallel to the average age of leaders in the church, then the mm-hmm. transitions already happened. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, so because the younger generation. I spoke a couple months ago at, uh, in flyover country at a minister's retreat, and it, you know, it was like a private thing I'm going to speak at, and there are about 50-some ministers there. Uh, and I tested it I, and they're all under 50, you know, which is young ministers in this, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the yeah. denomination. Um, and about uh, half of them are Southern Baptist ministers. So like, but they obviously showed up at something I was talking at. So that's selective in and of itself. But I asked them, you know, what basically around, uh, environmental crisis and sexuality. I was like, how many of y'all are done with this? If you're still employed and three fourths of the room, raised their hand. And that's raise their hand in front of their peers. So, like, I don't. I think the 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 slowness of the church is. It's like the only industry that works off old people, like until you get to like social security or something. Um, like, who is who is it that's marketed to for every other industry? It's eighteen to twenty five year olds who are mm-hmm. going to adopt uh, apps, identities, sports. Mm-hmm clothing brands and all that stuff and guess what they do they're evangelicals who go to acts 29 churches but really like the planet and gay people on the dl and like i've done weddings of acts 29 lesbian couples because they didn't want to do it at their church because it wasn't a firm but they go there because they like the music and the art and the service part better but the sermon sucks so like i and the number of people that from the podcast who've like when i've said similar things email me and they're like yeah you know i'm a minister at blah 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 over here and i resonate with what's going on or i'm you know i've been in this city and i can't find a church that cares about environmentalism i'm allowed to come to and be honest and isn't boring but that's because the the church it, the mat, the metrics we call success around like money property and all that kind of stuff continues uh, us like trying to keep around a business model economically and institutionally that is just leaving behind all the like future um, generations that are coming up through it. That's like, so I, I think like the movement um, in the churches happen more than it's visible because of financial necessity rather than like theological necessity. I get it. I get I mean, it. I yeah. confirmed people. I, I like I've done confirmation process or pastor's class if it's disciples of Christ uh, for almost 170 some people. I counted it during at one point, and <laughs> um, it's amazing. Like I've never thought their main like their main interest was what their parents thought was essential. Uh, most of them find like actual reflecting about their faith, talking about God and spiritual practice, all that kind of stuff is interesting to them. Um, it's that when you're encountering a narrative that like, like Jesus is, which kind of professionally deconstructs whatever the current system is. And then you see its leaders as like the most like institutionally fundamentally committed type of people. 
and they're the worst though are mainline Protestants. Like they can't change Jack. Like this is how backwards mainline Protestants are. You have like, let's say, um, uh, you have a, a a guy who's like started this college group ministry at an evangelical church. It's now like 500 college students. And he has like four different leaders that are in the mentorship program. They're going to like Fuller Seminary or something like that. That's kind of like has yeah. mainline students, has evangelical ones. And you have now like two women that are there getting their MDiv, called the ministry. The denomination won't support them. And they're in charge of 100 people. And the denomination comes up with lots of crap for them to do as opposed to like actually recruiting talent. You have like entrepreneurial forward thinking female leaders succeeding in your city. They want to join you. And they're like, have you taken our polity class? Oh, we'll help you plant a church and give you $10,000. And then they're like, "Never mind. I think I'll cross my fingers and lie a bit and try to get it done in a system where I have health insurance. This is like what mainline Protestants do It is just beyond ridiculous. And how do you really feel about that trip? Oh, that's how I feel about it. (laughs) but no, when people do cool stuff, I like it. Like that's the main reason I really enjoy working at the hatchery is it's like really alternative type of yeah. uh, communities built around service rather than yeah. teaching. And it's very like startup style, but um, I think the 10 year, but see the transition in any kind of big thing opens up all sorts of possibilities. Like it wasn't it a big deal when someone your age gets in charge uh, of a church in your denomination of that size? Like, isn't that? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, yeah, I guess so. <clears throat> you know, part of the thing is in, you know, a lot of my friends are doing uh, jobs that are similar to mine in churches similar size to mine, partly because our denomination, it, it's not that like me and my, my preacher friends are that good of preachers. It's that the market for preachers is shrinking so much. And so the talent pool is just not there as much as it used to because people aren't going into ministry. But I, I do think, yeah, there's a lot of significance to uh, that churches are wanting to embrace and move forward. And that's part of, you know, a younger gen- generation of, of guys in my position. Yeah, that's, I get it. And the other thing I, that I thought about is that in 10 years, like people need to realize that, this is the age of the, ret- it is the return of the sermon. Um, and return of the sermon. Yeah. Is it return of the Mac or re- return of the sermon? Uh, the sermon. Um, okay. Like if you think about how Wait, many. Hold on. Why do you think it's return of the sermon? Well, um, a- across theological perspectives, one of the like regular factors of growing congregations, progressive to conservative are uh, longer exegetical sermons. Um, second, the biggest growth industry, you know, outside of porn on the internet is uh, education, like online education. People are choosing to invest in themselves and furthering education, including like in the humanities, religion, stuff like that. Third, mm-hmm. podcasts have turned um, the art, like the art of communicating and talking and conversation into something people do uh, quite regularly. Uh, TED Talks are giant sermons about ideas that end with you having an invitation to change the world, your life, or whatever it's about. People today hear more like thought through um, monologue forms of communication in different mediums than they ever have. And then uh, that's why why I think when you mentioned, oh, well, because there's a shortage of preachers. Yeah, because for a long time, you had people in like seminaries telling everyone that like the future of the church is like, uh, candles and chanting and like <laughs> stuff like that. 
And people say they want those things, but where do they actually go? Um, People can hear the biblical text interpreted with someone with an actual belief about it. Like, um, not Aesop fable the sermon. That's boring. And, and not just like use a text to then repeat your self-help guru stuff and pretend that's what Psalm 24, 5a meant. Like, and so the, like, I feel like that is going to be one of the, the transitions, but with like, but with the internet, online connection, small communities, we'll have lots of cool alternative ways of doing um, education and formation uh, because mm-hmm. we have the uh, because we have the internet, and and that's pretty cool. Like yeah. I have people that listen to the podcast, uh, you know, like during the sermon at the church they go to because they can't stand the sermon, but they like their service projects and want to sing the music. Uh, I've yeah, I heard a story of a guy uh, walked into the uh, hallway and he, he found one of uh, the elders at his church. Um, this guy wasn't the preacher there. And uh, the elder had headphones in. And he was like, what are you doing? He goes, uh, uh, I'm listening to a different preacher. I don't like this preacher at our church. Um, so there's like tons of access to quality communicators out there that people, um, I think they have a higher taste for uh quality communication and quality preaching because it's so readily available. So I've always been a huge fan of preaching, which is why it is what I do for a living. It's um, the majority of minutes in my, my week are spent doing that. Uh, So I, I, I've always been biased to that. And so I didn't want to, I would never want to say that to myself because it's just, that's what I do. But uh, I like that you say it. So yeah, let's do that. It's uh, sermons. It's where it's at. Yeah. Sacraments. Eh. Sermons, yes. Well, I'm not. I'm not trying to hate on sacraments, but uh, hey, it's all right. It's, I'm just kidding. Hey, let's go to the next question. Hold on. We should tell it. We we should switch podcasts. That's what we should do. Okay. Yeah. For sure. People are sitting there like, I want to talk about these other questions. Look, we're going to. But if this is the first of the two episodes you listen to, you have to go to Homebrewed Christianity now. But that's right after you watch the Devil Palooza video. Yep. At either of our websites, you can go yep. click on it and click watch on it. it. Give us the email. We'll send you a link to it. And it is a high quality video. Matt Maxwell did a great job. Trip, you hooked us up, got a great spot for the venue. And uh, you guys, if you weren't able to be there, you can watch the video. It really, really is done well. So go to uh, Trip's website, my website. We'll give you all the information to get that video. And uh, now... Next year with Bono. Next year with Bono and Roar. Um, okay, so if you're listening on Newsworthy, uh, click over Homebrewed Christianity. Second part of this. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.